Hey there everyone and welcome back to the Finals Countdown series, which is brought to you by MedTalks. Today's episode is part of the cardiology section and we're going to be talking about aortic valve disease. I'm Sahil and I'm a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. So let's get started. The aortic valve is one of the two semilunar valves. It is located between the left ventricle and the aorta. When blood is pumped from the left ventricle into the aorta, the aortic valve closes to prevent backflow of this blood back into the ventricle. And in most cases, it has three cusps or leaflets. Now there are two conditions that you should know about related to the aortic valve, and these are aortic stenosis and aortic regurgitation. Okay, so let's start with aortic stenosis. Stenosis means narrowing, and in this condition there is a narrowing of the aortic valve for various reasons. And it is the most common valvular defect in the developed world. Let's think about why it happens. The most common reason is senile calcification. In other words, age-related degeneration and calcification of the valve leaflets that leads to narrowing. Other less common causes include congenital bicuspid aortic valve, where there are only two cusps or leaflets rather than three, and rarer causes include rheumatic heart disease. Now let's dive into how a patient with aortic stenosis may present. The classic triad can be remembered using the acronym SAD. S is for syncope, A is for angina or chest discomfort, and D is for dyspnea. But be aware that this triad is actually only seen in around 30-40% to of patients, more commonly after the age of 50. So if you come across an elderly person with chest pain, syncope or exertional dyspnea, then you always need to think of aortic stenosis. So, why does chest pain occur? Well, if you think about the anatomy of the heart, the coronary artery branches off the aorta. As a result of the stenosis, Less blood is being pumped into the aorta, which means less blood gets pumped to the coronary artery, and so the supply to the heart itself reduces. The oxygen demand exceeds oxygen supply, which causes angina. Syncope occurs because as a result of the narrowing, less blood is being pumped into the brain. Now let's think about what signs we may find on examination of a patient with aortic stenosis. Firstly, feel the pulse. So in aortic stenosis, the pulse is slow rising and flat. It is low volume due to reduced blood flow across the aortic valve. Have a measure of the blood pressure. In aortic stenosis, there is a narrow pulse pressure, so the difference between the systolic and the diastolic pressures. And the reason for this is progression of the aortic stenosis leads to a decline in systolic blood pressure. Feel for the apex beat. Unlike in aortic regurgitation, the beat is not displaced. However, there, is, there can be a left ventricular heave. The characteristic sign of aortic stenosis is a crescendo-decrescendo ejection systolic murmur, which is heard loudest during expiration at the base of the heart, most commonly heard at the second intercostal space right sternal edge, and it transmits to the carotids. If the person has a bicuspid valve, then you may hear an ejection click. In severe aortic stenosis, it can lead to left ventricular hypertrophy, and a fourth heart sound may be heard. A fourth heart sound, or S4, is also known as an atrial gallop, and this occurs just before S1, when the atria contract to force blood into the ventricle. If the left ventricle is non-compliant, and the atrial contraction forces blood through the atrioventricular valve, an S4 is produced by blood striking the non-compliant left ventricle. Right, so those are the signs. Now we need to investigate to confirm the diagnosis. 
An ECG may show, left, may show evidence of left ventricular hypertrophy or stain, and this is manifested by tall R-waves in the precordial leads. A chest X-ray may show cardiac enlargement or calcification of the aortic ring. Echocardiography is the most important investigation for diagnosis of aortic stenosis. This may show valve calcification, the function of the left ventricle and the wall thickness, and it also can provide information regarding the prognosis. First, a transthoracic echocardiogram should be done, and if required, a transesophageal echocardiogram. Echocardiography, or ultrasound scan of the heart, is the best non-invasive way to analyse the function and the anatomy of the aortic valve, and for any valve. And the area of the valve can be calculated using flow velocities. So using the velocity of the blood that goes through the valve, the pressure gradient across the valve can also be calculated using complicated equations. Now normally the aortic valve has a gradient of only a few millimetres mercury. But if the valvular area is decreased, as it is in aortic stenosis, this can increase the pressure gradient. And so these parameters are used to classify and to grade the severity of aortic stenosis being mild, moderate and severe. So typically, mild aortic stenosis has a mean gradient of less than 20 millimeters mercury and an aortic valve area of more than 1.5 centimeters squared. Moderate aortic stenosis, the, the mean gradient is between 20 and 40 millimeters mercury and severe is more than 40, very severe is more than 70 millimeters mercury and uh, alongside these, the, the area of the valve will decrease depending on the severity. And more, more specialist investigations can be done by a cardiologist, so things like a stress echocardiogram, transesophageal, a cardiac MRI and cardiac catheterization. So now let's go on to the management of aortic stenosis. Firstly, heavy exertion should be avoided. If patients are symptomatic, they will require early surgical intervention because no medical therapy can improve the outcome. Aortic stenosis can lead to symptoms of heart failure and these should be treated with diuretics and ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers. Modification of the atherosclerotic risk factors is essential and regular follow-ups will be required, so regular echocardiograms. If the aortic stenosis is severe, then aortic valve replacement is definitive and early replacement is recommended, especially if symptomatic severe aortic stenosis. For patients who, who, for whom surgery is unsuitable, then there is an alternative, and this is called transcatheter aortic valve implantation, or TAVI. So a transcatheter aortic valve impl implantation, or replacement, is basically where a catheter with a balloon at the tip is inserted into the femoral artery, and then it's passed up into the heart, and the balloon is gently inflated to make room for the new tissue valve, which is then placed into the position. The new valve then will expand by itself, or is expanded using the balloon, depending on which type of valve is used. The balloon is then deflated and then the balloon and the catheter are removed and the new valve now sits inside the damaged valve. So that's aortic stenosis. Now let's move on to another aortic valve disease called aortic regurgitation. This is also known as aortic insufficiency or incompetence. Essentially blood flows back across the aortic valve from the aorta into the left ventricle. So this occurs during diastole and this is where the aortic valve is supposed to close to prevent backflow of blood from the aorta into the ventricle. But in aortic regurgitation, the valve doesn't close fully and so some of this blood leaks through. The most common causes for this include bicuspid aortic valve, 
which is the most common congenital cause. Rheumatic fever is the most common cause worldwide. Infective endocarditis and collagen vascular disease. Risk factors are connective tissue diseases such as systemic lupus erythematosus, Marfan's, Ehlers-Danlos and Betcher's disease. Also ankylosing spondylitis and reactive arthritis can lead to aortic dilatation which causes aortic regurgitation. Patients with aortic regurgitation may present in the following ways. So they'll have a murmur which is diastolic, early. It's heard best in the lower left sternal edge with the patient sitting forward during expiration. So now would be a good time to break off into talking briefly about heart murmurs. So far we've talked about aortic stenosis and aortic regurgitation and they have very different murmurs and you need to do different maneuvers to accentuate these murmurs and we'll discuss these now. A murmur is produced when there is turbulent blood flow through an area of the heart. Normally the blood flow is smooth and silent but abnormalities in the anatomy and the structure of the heart can cause turbulence. So in aortic stenosis, there is an abnormal narrowing, and in aortic regurgitation, the blood flow is flowing in the reverse direction. And as the blood is flowing so fast, the turbulence will still continue as the blood flows through the different vessels. And so, for example, aortic stenosis, the murmur is still heard in the carotid arteries, where it radiates to. And then we categorize murmurs uh, based on the cardiac cycle, so whether they are systolic and diastolic, and when whether they are heard before or after the heart sound, so S1 and S2. Aortic stenosis is heard during systole, and aortic regurgitation is heard during diastole. The reason for this is because in systole, the vent left ventricle is pumping blood through the aortic valve, and in diastole, the aortic valve is supposed to close fully, to prevent the backflow of blood in the aorta going into the left ventricle. So there are certain maneuvers that can help us to hear the murmurs better. And for aortic valve murmurs, sitting forwards will bring the aortic valve closer to the chest wall. So therefore, aortic murmurs are heard louder whilst patients are sitting forward. And then there's inspiration versus expiration. So during expiration, the intrathoracic pressure increases, and this forces pulmonary vessels to constrict and so, and so blood is forced from the pulmonary veins into the left atrium and through the left side of the heart. So therefore, left-sided heart valve lesions, so aortic and mitral valves, are heard loudest during expiration. Whereas in inspiration, the intrathoracic pressure reduces, and so more blood flows into the right heart, into the right side of the heart. And so right-sided valve lesions, such as pulmonary and tricuspid, are heard louder. Patients may have a collapsing pulse or a water hammer pulse. They have a wide, wide pulse pressure as opposed to the narrow pulse pressure seen in aortic stenosis. And the reason behind this is that blood flowing back from the aorta into the left ventricle through the leaking valve causes an increase in the blood volume within the, within the left ventricle. And this leads to increased stroke volume because more blood is being pumped out of the left ventricle during systole. And in order to do this, you need to have a higher pressure. So the systolic blood pressure increases. Whereas during diastole, there is less blood present in the aorta because the blood has leaked back into the left ventricle. And so the diastolic blood pressure decreases, which leads to a widened pulse pressure. And there are lots of eponymous signs, which aren't really seen very much these days, and more kind of textbook signs. So firstly, there's corrigans, where there's abrupt distension and collapse of the carotid arteries. There's demussets, which is head bobbing. Quinkies, which is nail bed pulsation. 
a Trawby sign, which is a pistol shot sound over the femoral artery. The reason that these signs aren't usually seen is because such significant disease which would cause these signs is usually surgically corrected. Acute aortic regurgitation can lead to cardiovascular collapse, so sudden chest pain, dyspnea, bibasal crackles and a raised JVP. To diagnose aortic regurgitation, the following investigations can be done. So measuring the blood pressure to see for to look for a wide pulse pressure. Bedside observations are always useful, so respiratory rate, heart rate, oxygen saturations, blood pressure and temperature. An ECG may show left ventricular hypertrophy, again manifested with tall R waves. Chest X-ray may show cardiomegaly, a dilated ascending aorta and pulmonary edema. An echo is again key for the diagnosis and working out the severity, where the gradient across the valve can be calculated. Patients with Marfan's disease may have a cardiac MRI, and cardiac catheterization can be performed to assess the coronary anatomy prior to surgery. So, for symptomatic and acute aortic regurgitation, this requires urgent surgical intervention. In patients with severe heart failure, vasodilators and inotropic agents can be used short-term short prior to the aortic valve surgery. Patients with chronic severe aortic regurgitation and heart failure, ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers can be used, especially if there's also hypertension. This is when surgery is contraindicated for these patients. Patients with Marfan syndrome and aortic regurgitation, beta blockers have been shown to slow aortic dilatation and reduce the risk of complications. So the indications for surgery are 1. Symptomatic and 2. Asymptomatic with a deteriorating left ventricular function. Valve replacement is the mainstay of surgical treatment. So it can either be a mechanical valve or a bioprosthetic valve. Mechanical valves require long-term anticoagulation. They have a long lifespan which reduces the need for a second operation and they're more suited to younger patients. Bioprosthetic valves, there no need, there's no need for long-term anticoagulation but they have a limited lifespan around 10 years and a repeat operation is more likely. And these are suited to older patients. For chronic severe aortic regurgitation, the aim is to prevent death, reduce symptoms, prevent heart failure and avoid aortic complications. Marfan's and other aortic root disorders, avoidance of strenuous physical activity and competitive sports is important, and patients will require a regular echocardiogram every 6 to 12 months to monitor their disease. In terms of prognosis, acute severe aortic regurgitation has a poor prognosis, especially without intervention due to the hemodynamic instability. So that brings us to the end of aortic valve disease. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and found it useful. Please leave us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Let us know how we can improve. Share them with your friends and your peers who will also find it useful. You can ask us questions via Instagram, which is at medtalks.uk or via our email address, which is hellomedtalks at gmail.com and subscribe to our channels for the, all of the other episodes. Finally, check out our website, which is medtalks.health. Thank you for listening and we will see you in the next one. Goodbye.